This is First Contact, stories of the call center. Brought to you by Noble Biz, your one-stop shop for all your contact center needs, both carrier and software. Each show, we talk to industry leaders on how they got their start in the call center industry, because let's be honest, it's not a dream job. Find all our episodes, you can go to our website, that's www.nobelbiz.com. Hit subscribe on our YouTube channel, or follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for future episodes. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. As you know, we bring on leaders within the industry and we learn kind of how they get into the space and then also, hey, get some expertise for them. So today we're joined by someone uh, who's worked their way pretty much all the way to the top, and they're actually now one of the most influential voices in this space. Uh, today, we got Fred Stacy, who's the co-founder and general manager of Cloud Call Center Search, a company that specializes in guiding clients to select the best call center solutions for their business. Now, Fred also does important work with Outsource Consultants, a company that helps BPOs find the best call centers to work with. Now, look, with over 25 years of experience in the industry, we're just thrilled to have them on here. Episode four, season two. So Fred, welcome. Thanks so much for hopping on with us. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we're well, looking forward to a great conversation. As you know, with the theme of the story, we really want to know, hey, so what were you doing before you got into the industry? And all right, how did you get into this? Because we always say, hey, someone doesn't wake up and go, man, this is my dream job. They find this place and ends up being a dream job. So kind of share with the audience here, how did you get here and what were you doing at that time? Oh, yeah. As a kid, all I wanted to do was be in contact centers. Back then, it was call centers. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. it was legitimately. Um, you know, actually, I was a uh, funny story. I was stacking physical doors uh, onto a, um, you know, onto a, a, a device that moves the doors around the, the factory. And I got my hand caught in between the rollers um, and uh, nothing serious damage. Right. But okay. didn't know. And I quickly realized that growing up on a farm in Iowa, um, manual labor and I, you know, we didn't really get along. I, I, <laughs> I love doing it, but I wouldn't want to do it for a career. So I needed a job um, and I didn't want to do that. And I couldn't lift really anything with my hand at that time. So I went to a, a call center and got a job as an agent. Um, and uh, from there, um, you know, I got an opportunity because I was good at, uh, at at the sales that I was doing. And I, I trained some people and realized I hated public speaking when I was a kid. Um, and I got up in front of a group and talked about something that I enjoyed and I realized that I actually really enjoy it, um, you know, which led to leadership, which led to helping companies start new call centers or recover failing ones around the country. And then about 19 years ago, I met uh, your boss, uh, my mentor for many years, Steve Biederman. Uh, and I've been in contact center technology ever since. Um, you know, I through the years have moved up the ranks, um, you know, done everything possible. I, I've ran everything inside a software company minus development. I'm not a coder. I don't pretend <laughs> to be able to write code. Um, you know, anything past the complex SQL join and it just goes right over my head. So totally understand. I feel you on that one. Uh, get it enough to be dangerous, but definitely not going to be building anything in that world. So um, you you started at some point going like, hey, I want to have my own business or I want to be able to run my own thing. How did that come about? Where, where were you in life where you said, that's the thing that's for me? And how did you come about going, 
this is what, what I'm going to do. Yeah. So a lot of the software companies I worked for early on in my software career um, were young, right? And, you know, with Steve, um, you know, we, I was a part of the Touchstar story uh, and, you know, saw the growth of that. And it got to run Europe, Middle East and Asia Pacific and travel the world and do business all over the place and learn so much. And it, it quickly became obvious that I loved um, the, the, the growth, you know, the growth side of the business, right? And where else are you going to find that type of growth other than startups? Um, not only that, but, uh, you know, there's also some, uh, there's, it, it gives you, it affords you the ability to do the stuff you love, um, you know, kind of learn. I just, I'm one of those people that I can't ever stop learning. Um, you know, the second I do, you know, I'm going to you know, I'll be in my grave, I think, uh, you know, I just <laughs> love learning new things and, new technologies, new ways of doing business, um, you know, relationships and, and mentoring and leader. I mean, I just, I love the whole thing and there's no real other environment that I know of, um, that you can get that. Totally makes sense. I mean, it looks like you're the true student of the business, right? You're, you're always the student, even when you're teaching, even when you're mentoring and um, that's a great thing to have to be able to share that with others. So let's kind of look at that from the perspective of, you know, the cloud call center search business, right? You've described it as half the time is you're evaluating technology. The other half the time you're talking to call centers, right? And seeing what it is they want. So tell us more about that balance and understanding. So why is it important that you have to do that to make these types of important decisions? Yeah. So, um, I mean, first of all, the, the world has changed since I came into it. The first um, you know, call center system I ever touched was a server that was half my body size uh, and ran 24 agents, right? And back then it was 24 because there wasn't even a D channel and a T1. And for those geeks that are watching this, you'll understand you know, <laughs> what I'm talking about. Um, uh, the POTS line, stuff like that. Um, anyways, I digress. Uh, so today there's just in CCAS alone, you look at our landscape in our market today and there's 120 plus CCAS vendors in North America. There's yep. 600 plus conversational AI tools um, or marketing as conversational AI tools. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, you know, there's all these customers out there that, you know, coming pre COVID was, you know, 80 to 90% globally still on premise. Um, you know, post COVID I'm hearing numbers around 70, um, you know, somewhere in that neighborhood. So we made a, in, in a very short period of time, we've made a dent, but it's just a dent really. And there's, there's all these challenges that come to, um, you know, how do you, how do you run a, a um, you know, how do you do run your business full time, you know, run your contact center, you know, focus on your performance, your leaders, uh, and, and select a technology at the same time. Um, you know, the problem is, you know, we all get calls from every single vendor, um, you know, and, and we get inundated with all this information. Uh, there's so many vendors in the marketplace. It's so noisy. Everybody is on LinkedIn now messaging everyone. Um, it's hard to tell for these clients, who do they really, who should they even be evaluating? Um, and, and they're in, you know, is where we come in. Uh, you know, I, I do literally spend half my time evaluating technologies um, because they, I need to understand, you know, what's today, what's viable, what's implementable today and what's coming in the future. Because a lot of times I'll talk through the whole stack of an organization from, you know, soup to nuts, starting at the data, CRM, system of record, 
through the omni channel into you know ancillary products like wfm wfo you know voice analytics artificial yeah. intelligence et cetera, et cetera. So I've got to keep my finger on the pulse of the industry, the technology landscape and where it's heading. And for me, I've got a fascinating, uh, I think I've got a different lens that I look at the market because I was an agent, because I ran centers, because I built training and, and uh, um, you know, engineering programs and software companies. I, you know, I, I've done all this stuff, you know, in, in almost every layer of the industry. I just look at these products differently, um, you know, and fundamentally in the end, my number one goal is to, to make sure that the clients get the right products um, that, that fit for their requirements. Uh, you know, so that's, that's really, I mean, you know, where we land in the market is we're sitting in between vendor agnostic in between everybody. Um, and that's not just the tech side and my side, that's outsourced consultants too. Yeah. And so talking about outsourced consultants and making the right decision, right? So they're a BPO advisory firm. They vet call centers around the globe. But what is your role within that organization? And kind of walking through a little bit of what it is they do. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things I've known Corey from the industry, he's an awesome guy. Corey Kodlars is the founder of Outsource Consultants. You know, he started it over seven years ago. Um, and he built a, the company around a, a model that's different. You know, most of the people in the industry that are, are, are working that, in that realm have, you know, a couple of handfuls of BPOs that they partner with, good friends, people they trust, mm-hmm. great companies. Um, but the problem was, you know, in outsourcing, there's never one right. Uh, there's never just one right vendor, right? There's you know thousands of vendors in the in the outsourcing market, um, and he built it off the idea of not just understanding, you know, what the BPOs say they do well, um, but what they actually do well. So we keep data points and and KPI performance on all of our partners, understanding not just the. I mean, we've got all the KP, all the data points like, you know, locations, you know, rates, uh, um, you know, what they're, what verticals they do really well in, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, there's even more data uh, on top of it. So we really understand the DNA of an outsourcer and where they focus. Uh, and then as the clients come in, you know, we help really identify what are the right um, you know, outsourcers to partner with and evaluate and shortlist. You know, so what I do uh, is one of the things I recognized coming from the software side was that he had built uh, an organization that really was scalable and and I could take it to the channel. Um, you know, so we took outsourced consultants to the channel, started to build out the, the referral network, the partner relationships, um, you know, all the, the intricacies and nuances. So Essentially, we were the first ones to really take a true scalable outsourcing model to to the channel, um, you know, and that's where I spend a, a lot of time. Also, is working with those partners and helping them understand, you know, hey, the, a lot of these partners do what what I do on the tech side, um, but they understand that, you know, the way the partnership rolls is they come to us with an outsourcing opportunity. Um, clearly, we protect them, we help their client, we solve it, and then they monetize the opportunity um, just like we do in the tech channel. Um, so uh, it, it's it's uh, it's an interesting model that I, I've, I haven't seen replicated. I mean, I've seen other people do similar, um, but they're oftentimes at different scales. Um, uh, this truly is a global, I mean, we're today 500 plus BPOs around the world under contract uh, that we partner with. So there isn't anything when it comes to 
you know, putting a, a human body in a seat to answer emails, phone calls, make outbound calls, whatever the project, uh, there isn't anything that we can't source. I could also imagine that there's a lot of synergy between what works well technology stack-wise in all of those businesses and what doesn't, right? The people that think they can do something and they don't, either operationally or tech stack-wise. And then yep. vice versa, um, those that really succeed in a certain path that want to get to that next level, sometimes they need to look at those pieces and put them in play. Otherwise, they will potentially only be in the part of the menu, I guess, that they live within. If they want to broaden their opportunity, then there's that as well. So that's really interesting to see those two really cross-pollinating one another, but mm -hmm. then also giving the end client the ability to have more than just the internal knowledge and experience in the decision-making process, because it becomes very difficult to get really that broad of an experience um, when it's only internal that you're using it to make your decisions. Right. Well, and that's kind of the beauty. That's why Corey and I coming together made so much sense is, you know, I'm a, um, you know, he knows outsourcing. He's, he's me in outsourcing as I am to tech, right? Um, and the beauty is we both kind of blend well across paths. And in the end, the company, I mean, you know, what we do uh, between our bench of consultants that we can access, um, you know, our tech, our outsourcing, our resources, um, there really isn't anything that we can't help a client work through. And I think um, to your point, the world with the cloud proliferation, um, you know, this, the outsourcing and technology are the same conversation or becoming the same conversation, right? Um, and I'm actually um, kicking around an idea of, of outsourcing as a service, as a kind of a, a model, um, you know, and I'm not, it, it is outsourcing is a service, but right, trying to play off of the, the whole AAS, you know, that all of us in tech love to grab a hold of, whether it's DAS or CCAS or UCAS or whatever. Um, but, you know, I think the outsourcing market, um, you know, especially with cloud, you know, the, the average client is going to have their CRM. They're going to have their own CCAS. Uh, all of these things are going to be cloud. They may have a, a you know, a, a desktop as a service platform with a, 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 and the ability to deploy to an outsourcer all of their technology stack and take that away within a minute's notice. The, the buyers are becoming so much more sophisticated on the technology side that the outsourcers in the future, I don't believe, will really be supplying anything in a technology stack, and it will all be coming from the first party. And you know, if you look at the data security GDPR, the, the California Data Protection, um, you know, the all these data laws that are coming into place, and the fact that you know the customer experience data is so critical to corporations today. Um, I think it's just silly to believe anything except that the, the first party organizations are going to own the stack, period. Um, and they're going to push those out to the BPO. So I think it's one and the same, right? You know, you can't talk customer experience um, without talking tech. And any decent sized company is going to outsource some of their resources. So, you know, what tech are you going to push? Where? How? How is that going to impact the customer experience? Um yeah, it is. It, to me, it's becoming the same conversation, um, just different aspects of it, right? You know, one's delivery and, you know, one's actually the human resource piece of it. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. We already see that today that outsourcers and um, having a percentage that's material or a large percentage of their business where um, they, they are what we call butts and seats, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're not uh, leveraging their own technology stack, they're using the technology stack of their customer. Of course, 
data is a huge one, security, but also just consistency, right? Reporting, visibility, onboarding, ramping, ramping down, bringing in new projects, taking away projects, and then also globally managing visibility across who you're using instead of going in between silos, you kind of now have the visibility across everyone you use. And so it right, makes right. just perfect sense that companies are going to be doing that. They're going to continue to do that. And I foresee you're right that 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 the, the end client is going to be dictating the technology. And as that technology doesn't require as many technical resources, they're more operationally friendly to manage, then you won't necessarily need as many people um, in that in particular focus to manage those things. So let's go back to something you said when you were saying, since you've been an agent, you've started at the beginning, you've gone through all these different roles, it's given you this different lens, right? That you look at when you see technology and its place in the world. So what is one of the biggest things that you could sit there and say, hey, look, this has influenced how I look at this stuff. What, what would you say that would be? What are the things that you feel that have come with you along for that ride that now gives you that sense of, I understand what that person's been through and why this is important. Anything you could share with us on that? Yeah. So um, being a buyer, right? So, you know, it's fascinating. I was just having a call this morning with a, a contact center team um, and uh, we were talking about uh, the, the dynamics inside a center, right? And the the reason why the industry hasn't converted to cloud at any significant level and the complexities of, you know, the, the operation. I mean, running a contact center, uh, you're putting out fires all day long. And we in software think we are sometimes, um, you know, and it's nothing compared to the volume inside a contact center. Um, the the leadership experience of, you know, having, I mean, there isn't, uh, some people joke about it being, you know, the school, the MBA, uh, the call center MBA program, right? Because you, you never get that kind of scale of leadership, KPI, performance management, um, coaching, mentoring that you do, you know, when you've got a, a couple hundred seats, right? Or a thousand seats, mm-hmm. you know, in multi-levels of, of uh, um, you know, direct and indirect reports, you know, so learning and understanding what they're going through, um, you know, the, the struggles of, you know, my board is telling me that I need an AI initiative, I need help and being able to help them define really because uh, again, they, they've got their day jobs, they've got all these fires to put out. And then now they're supposed to go to a market that has, you know, 600 plus conversational AI tools or (laughs) yeah, exactly. And they're going to somehow magically through a Google search and an RFP, which cracks me up, going to come down and figure out which one, you know, is the right one. And that's why we'll see the acceleration of the Gartner leaders in this industry even more so because it's too, nobody gets fired for hiring IBM. Right. And, you know, it's so complex. There's so many touch points in the modern technology. Um, You know, it's it's a big risk to take a chance on a a product that's not a Gartner leader. Um, But, you know, understanding and helping clients through that those talking points of. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, is your executive team or is the C-suite going to sign off on this because it's not a Gartner later? If you don't know that question as a buyer, as the one leading the RFP process, you need to ask it. 
You need to find out and get validation and understand what is the internal buying methodology. And a lot of these changes happen when somebody new at the VP level or the director level comes in and says, why are we still running a premise-based, you know, whatever, um, you know, and they get the the authority to move ahead with something. But understanding the, the buying process from, you know, themselves as the driver of the RFP and the champion all the way through their influencers, through their, you know, executive suite champion, um, you know, all of those details of them helping them understand that process and that that from doing it, um, there's no there's no other thing that can replicate and give you that kind of empathy to, to understand what these customers go through when they have to make these kind of decisions. Yeah. And I think it's also important to understand what goes into Gartner, right? For you to get into the quadrants, right? And you to participate. And there's a lot of companies that don't, right? And so some people will use it as a litmus test of if you're not in this category, then you're not worth looking at. But because of the things that go into what Gartner looks at, there's a lot of companies that may not actually be in the Gartner, but may be a good fit for mm-hmm. that use case, right? Because they could be someone just wants a really good predictive dialer. They just want to make a lot of outbound. And the Gartner's mostly focused on having a lot of criteria on inbound, right? And so there's some unique criteria there. So being able to go in and know all those nuances between the businesses, and then at the same time, be able to say, okay, well, what's your criteria? What are you doing? And then understanding the buying process, right? You've bought stuff as the user side. So you understand their experience. And I think you mentioned something about AI at the beginning of that, right? You said, well, everyone is like talking about AI. We have this initiative. We need to go get AI. And you say, hey, look, first thing I do if I'm Fred Stacy, I'm saying I want to know what your objectives are, your objectives are before you even start talking about putting something in play, right? And so you have to sit there and go like, well, let's let's talk about that. So when you go into those scenarios, do you have specific questions that you ask about what they want to do and what they're trying to accomplish before they say, we want AI? <laughs> Yeah. So first of all, yes, uh, there's all kinds of questions. And depending on, you know, the organization, how much information I have about their current stack, where they're at in a digital transformation process, all that stuff. Um, but the typical, the number one question I always ask is, you know, what are the, what's the pain? You know, I, I, I get it. Everybody can say, I, we need an AI initiative and that being pushed down from the board. Uh, that's great. You know, are we talking RPA? Are we talking just fundamental bots? Um, you know, do you actually, uh, you know, how much do you want to invest? Do you want something that just takes care of the FAQ stuff and just passes the rest of the agents? What's the agent experience? You know, what what's the customer experience that you're looking to achieve? Um, you know, what's your demographics? You know, your clients, are they young? Are they likely to pick up digital media? Are you using those current media, for, you know, those channels? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's so much that you need to know. Um, you know, and there's a reason why, you know, I, I think it was uh, um, an analyst firm put out a report last year. I, I can't remember it off the top of my head which one it was. Uh, but 50% of all AI projects failed over 50% uh, because of two main reasons. Uh, a, a lack of resources um, and a, a misunderstanding of actually, you know, what the outcomes were going to be. You know, everybody is selling AI as this amazing tool and it's this shiny penny that everybody can't wait to pick up. Um, <laughs> You know, but I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to clients and they spend way too much money on a 
POC um, to, to bring out a major industry, you know, AI engine and tried to build it, you know, or hire a development team and build it um, when all they were really trying to accomplish was simply deflect some of the basic FAQs because their customer experience that they were trying to achieve was really about more, you know, personalized service, um, right? So, um AI is a fascinating conversation. You know, they, I, I always make a point that, you know, 10 years ago, the journals, you know, the Wall Street and all the journals started talking about CX being critical for a business. Yep. So that kind of made our industry start to get exciting. AI has amplified that because now it's on the tip of every executive's tongue. Um, you know, and this last year, with COVID volumes impacting healthcare and some of the, um, you know, online and app-based companies just exploding, um, you know, it's it's even being forced quicker to the forefront. And we're we're not exactly fast to adopt in our industry. I mean, you know, so um, it's yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of things, but I, I think it. Um, you know, it, here's what I'd say. Don't ever try to do an AI project alone. Um, you know, find resources in the industry and, um, you know, I mean, read and learn. And I'm a geek, so I want to understand it all. I can't help it. Um, but I know, you know, as buyers, they don't have the time to go into the depth. So find resources. There's a ton of people out there who are specializing in this and can really help. Yeah, well, that all makes sense. And I think with any new technology that is getting to a point where people start adopting it, right? And and I call it an it because people many times don't know what it is yet. They just want it, you know? Right. And so they go in and they want it. But have you seen though, successful implementations of AI? And if so, do you have an example of some that people can go like, oh, that's what it would do for me if I properly did it, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's quite a few healthcare organizations who have done a, a spectacular job uh, at working with partners to develop, um, you know, I mean, COVID related, um, mm -hmm. you know, calling and uh, call ins, handling, self-servicing the stuff that needs to. Uh, but it's even gone further with some of these organizations, uh, you know, that it, it started to be able to take in patient um, information capture it set the appointment um you know and and move the and move the patient forward so patient experience has been something that has been significantly improved i've also seen um you know rpa a lot of people talk ai and they go the the our industry in particular goes to bots right um you know but there's there's this whole segment of of uh, robotic process automations that happen either at the desktop or the back office level that save significant amounts of money you're talking about tens of millions um to to large organizations implementing rpa technology on the back end now that is not a plug and play um it's not like there's some great vendors out there but that takes work expertise the right people to come in and and you know work through the process of evaluation implementation you know improvement etc um but yeah i mean other examples uh, you know voice analytics um you know the improvements in the last five years in the nlu nlp engines have been phenomenal some companies have really started to change the game uh in the way that they they do licensing when it came into the market it was so expensive that even the biggest companies could only do 10, 20 percent uh, analytics. And they were at that point in time, the tools were really just giving you data, um, which if you've got data scientists and people on the uh, in your company that can take that and make turn that into actionable 
stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the tools are starting to build technology that actually takes that data and that information all the way down to where it's usable, down to the QA, QM, you know, supervisors and the agent in particular. Um, because all the data in the world is great, but if it doesn't actually create actionable insights um, that can improve performance, it's just data. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, I mean, those are just a few things. I mean, there's, there's plenty of examples in the market. Um, but those are the ones that kind of pop to mind. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think you, you made the point of the, so what, right? Everyone can have data, but if you don't have something to do with it, I, I call it, so what? So what's the, so what here? And if there isn't something, then it doesn't really matter. It's just taking up time and space and resources and probably costing you money. Uh, right. but ultimately if you can do something with it and it's actionable, uh, then can you reduce costs? Can you improve efficiencies? Can you make the customer experience or journey better? Less friction, right? Yeah. A famous African proverb says that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And how true is this for the contact center industry where business partners that you can call friends are so rare? At Noble Biz, we made it our mission to travel far and wide with our partners. As a complete telecom services provider with an experience of over 20 years in the industry, Noble Biz offers the only voice carrier network designed with the sole purpose of serving call centers, big or small. Because our goal is to become the ultimate provider for the contact center industry, service quality is on top of our priority list. We will guarantee crystal clear voice quality legal backup, smart routing, 99.9% .9 uptime, high-grade security, and an easy setup. At Noble Biz, we are confident to affirm that we have the best cost per minute in the entire contact center industry. Do you have any doubts? Get in touch and find out. Learn more about the Noble Biz voice carrier network on www.noblebiz.com. Let's go back to AI real quick on one piece. You know, you've said, hey, look, I don't believe AI is in a position to come up with its own answers to customers' questions. And quite frankly, I don't want it to. So let's focus on that second part, right? What do you mean by that part? So, um, you know, I mean, there's there's all kinds of, you know, you can go out and, and take a look at Musk or some of the some of the giants out there talking about the, the risks of AI. I mean, you know, in the end for us, you know, I'm, I'm a down and down to earth type of guy. I, I like to talk in, in, you know, at the agent level and and baseline, you know, stuff. So, um, you know, what I really mean is, you know, I, I don't want the, the AI tools coming up with how to answer clients properly. I, I think there's a brand. It figures out its voice. It figures out the way it wants to be presented. Um, we spend a lot of time and effort in marketing. Um, we spend a lot of time and effort in in training, um, you know, working on our culture and all those things. The last thing I want is a bot out there communicating in a method that isn't um, that isn't you know to to what I expect from my brand. Um, you know, so yeah, I think there's a balance uh, between. So there's. 
there's machine learning, artificial intelligence that's self-learning, you know, and constantly trying to improve. And that stuff's the stuff of, you know, science fiction, right? And there have been instances of two AI engines starting to make their own language, um, you know, and communicating to each other in a more efficient way. And, you know, luckily the data scientists shut that stuff off, right, real quick. (laughs) Uh, But in in the end, what I really am trying to say is as a brand, um, I, I like supervised learning. I think that the tool sets should absolutely learn, capture data, understand, and give insights back to people to make the right decisions for your organization and your brand. Um, just because an answer is a, a correct answer to a problem doesn't necessarily mean that it's being presented by the engine in the way that I would want it done for a brand. So, um, you know, I, I prefer to look at either companies that, um, you know, have you know, have uh, um, engineers and designers and people that will, will work with this stuff and tune and train, um, or they provide the supervised learning tools to be able to do it yourself in-house. Totally makes sense. And I think some of it where you look at those touch points with your brand, that culture, that interaction, that voice that you have and instilled in the people that work for you. Um, it's like uh, something I say with my team um, that's been said many times. It's are, are, are you working with them or at them? And so at them is the more transactional stuff. The things where maybe a bot and AI and other things are, are what they need in that moment. And it works right. with them. And then there's those times where you need to be with them. And many times the with interaction is going to be with another human being, right? And they may be assisted by AI or assisted by some other thing, but it's still ultimately two human beings interacting in some way. So I know you had mentioned uh, analytics. You know, we talk about speech analytics as well. And we look into that and go, should everyone be doing that? Is everyone needing to adopt that? And if so, do you see it right now being at a pace where it totally makes sense for companies to leverage that on use cases? Or is it like, hey, not ready? Or in the future, I can see it doing this and it's going to blow your mind. Oh, it, it, it's ready and it has been usable and valuable to organizations when implemented properly and driven down to the agent level, right? Um, what I would say is, uh, is it for everybody? No. Um, you know, that's the reality. Uh, you know, I, I think you give me, you know, a 50 seat contact center that has a, a good quality, you know, good supervisor team, you build your leaders. Um, do you really need the voice analytics tool in order to do QA, QM and, and monitor and, and do the things you don't need it? Um, you know, would it pre- create value if you were a data-driven organization and you're wanting to capture the voice of the customer from an analyst from a discussion standpoint and really analyze that data um, to do other things? Absolutely, I could see the justification. Um, but really, where it starts to become kind of a no-brainer is that hundred-plus seat environment. Um, you know, because there's no way you can scale quality assurance, quality management. I mean, the average contact center uh, of that size or larger is lucky, lucky if they analyze 1% of the call volume. I mean, usually it's a lot less, um, which is kind of scary when you think about it, because then you're training and coaching off of what may be a good or bad single instance of a conversation. And is it representative of really what's going on? Yeah. Uh, well, and, and 99% of the time it's not. Um, yeah, I've ran a center, I've had QA teams and, you know, they're looking for one good and one bad call. 
That's what they're doing, uh, and and they're purposefully looking for those things uh, to try to identify. Now, if you teach them right, they're trying to identify the right things to coach. Um, but you're not getting the consistent behaviors. You're not understanding where are the moments. You're not getting any sentiment analysis, and you get absolutely zero visibility into the actual conversation and being able to mine that data and use. Yep. So. Um, Voice analytics is absolutely viable. I recommend it for any center. Um, Like I said, anything over 100 uh, users. I I think there's no way you can possibly scale your your quality assurance team. Um, And you're not replacing them. I think this is kind of a misnomer. Everybody wants to everybody wants to replace people with technology because I get it. It's cost savings, right? Yeah. Um, You know, but what I, I definitely don't look at it that way. You still need the human to be able to coach the agents. You still need leaders. You still need QA, QM. You need people to manage that. But at 100 seats, as you start to scale that upwards, um, the only way you're going to do quality assurance and quality management well and across the whole um, the, uh, the whole week, month, you know, year, quarter, year of an agent and really see them grow is through tools like that. I mean, you're just there, there's no other way to do it. Um, and, and the fact that the technology is now more readily available for a lot less than it used to, uh, used to be, I mean, it just, it's a no brainer. It's one of the easiest ROI cases, um, in technology that we have today. That's awesome. And could agree with you more now, obviously when we talk about technology adoption, things that are becoming more readily available, we've been talking about omni-channel forever. Okay, it's it's it, the I I, th- I still think that there's a lot of people that will say it and it may not mean what they mean and everyone has a different definition but I think we're getting closer to that. Mm-hmm. But from your perspective, you're on the ground, you're working with the companies implementing technology. You know the technology. Can you talk a little bit about what you think omnichannel means today? And then also, are actually anybody implementing omnichannel? Are they really using it or is it still siloed? the way we have seen it for many, many years. Yeah. So first of all, to me, I mean, I, I always go back to the customer experience to talk about omni-channel. Um, in, in the end, the omni, true omni-channel is the ability to seamlessly switch customer communications, no matter the channel, um, without any pause or hesitation or loss in, in data or insights, right? Um, so it's the ability to go from, hey, Mr. Customer, you know, why'd you call in? Uh, oh, I see that there's a problem. Can we switch to text? Great, we're on text. Show me a video of, of the back end of the router. Um, great, you know, unplug this, plug it back in, show me the front. Does it work? Great, awesome. You know, can I send you a text as a follow-up to, to share your experience? By the way, you know, you can self-service here. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's the interaction of, you know, from soup to nuts, any channel of communication, and it's the right channel for that particular customer and helping them navigate and solve whatever problems they have. Um, so are, are we there? I'd say there are, there are a handful that I bumped into that are there from a, a omni-channel delivery perspective, um, but they're not there holistically, you know, in all of their stack yet. Um, so some people made the leap and Omnichannel has been around forever. Um, I would argue that most deployments right now are multi-channel, um, you know, because there is no seamless channel switching. There's no data in in a lot of instances, the data, because they're alternate, divide, uh, alternate tools for different channels, um, the data isn't being, you know, brought back to a data warehouse and normalized and actually structured and leveraged. 
uh, in a way for the business. So, um, but there are a few. I mean, you know, and I think we're getting better, right? I mean, you know, especially if there's no voice interaction in the consumer, in, or in the customer experience, and some of the tech companies today, the app companies, um, you know, social media companies, try to find a phone number to call. Yeah, they make it I quite mean, hard. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, so in those environments, definitely, because they've they've kind of built their own customer experience journey inside that technology, um, and, it, and it is seamless. Um, so I, I think we're getting there as an industry. We're still far from it. It's much like the premise to cloud discussion. Um, you know, it's it's the same thing in my mind. Until we solve that piece, the and when I talk premise to cloud, a lot of people get confused. They think just cloud vendors. I, I think of cloud as, you know, it could be a, a dedicated cloud deployment in your own cloud infrastructure. Yep. It could be a hybrid. It could be a true shared cloud environment. Um, you know, but cloud is cloud, right? You you know, it's we know in the tech side, it's all physical servers. It's not like it's sitting up in a you know cloud. No, no, seriously, it's up in the clouds. <laughs> um, I, I think you get the point, right? You know, we're omni-channel is it's it's possible. Um, it takes work. It takes reorganizing uh, uh, um, your processes, your people. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just like everything. Any major deployment like this is all about the three, you know, three pillars, people, process, and technology. Um, and in that order, um, you know, it may sound weird coming from a, a tech guy, but um, people first, process second, technology third. Yeah, and... I think one of the things that you had mentioned that's really important here is that there may be technologies that can enable you to do it, but there's still the people in the process that are still siloed, right? They're still built, trained, managed, onboarded, and kept uh, in where they feel comfortable. You only do this. You only do that. We only this. And that part is comfortable for a lot of people because they're used to it. They know how it works and they understand it. And being able to break something that's working, right, and moving it into something that may or may not work to what they think it is, many times it's scary for people. And they just won't make the, the leap. I know COVID has been a, a, a catalyst and a disruptor, right, for a lot of people to go from um, maybe we'll do it to we don't have a choice or we were going to do it. Now we're doing it. Running a contact center these days takes a great deal of courage and resilience. Noble Biz applauds and salutes the contact center community for not giving up and fighting the good fight, working to set contact centers on the road to success. Our contribution consists in providing one of the most versatile and cost-efficient omnichannel solutions on the market called Noble Biz Omni Plus. Take your contact center to the next level with Noble Biz Omni Plus. Get instant access to a full range selection of channels, from voice calls to SMS, and from email to WhatsApp, Twitter, or Telegram. Get control over the external factors with the possibility to switch from an on-premise team to a remote system in just a matter of hours. And get integrated compliance support, advanced reporting, seamless agent dashboard, and many more high-grade features. All in just one product, Noble Biz Omni Plus, a crisis-proof solution for scaling operations. And so talking about 
COVID, right? Let's talk about cloud call, uh, cloud call center search and outsource consultants yeah. from the perspective of COVID. Yeah. What happened once COVID hit in both your experiences with the businesses? Did it change? Was it status quo? Or were you just like, hey, there's a big difference here going on? Well, I mean, you know, here's the thing. I think everybody took those first two weeks in March and we're taking a deep breath going, what is going on? Um, but, you know, yeah. pretty quickly, you know, everybody had to make a shift. Now, you know, because of our position in the marketplace, because, you know, the outsourced consultants has 500 BPOs, um, you know, we've got 120 technologies, we sit in between, we know the vendors, we know how to push the right buttons to get things moving, yada, yada. Um, COVID was, was actually, you know, we were busy. I mean, you know, it, it got really busy. Um, you know, but what changed is, People stopped taking the the long path, right, to get to a solution. They just had to solve problems, put out fires, um, you know. And we started with the fundamentals of let's all just get the agents up and running. I mean, you know, number one, we got to get the calls, chats, and emails answered. So people made the decisions they had to make to do that. And you know that that's. I mean, when you're in a, a situation like that, you got to do what you got to do, right, to, to get the customer up. But everybody was really customers, agents, everybody was just trying to do their part. So the first few months, I saw our industry really come together. Um, yeah. And it was really cool to watch. Vendors were giving away implementation fees. Vendors were um, stuff that I had never seen vendors do. And they really dove in. Um, you know, and, and tried to help as many clients as possible. Um, you know, and uh, clients were, were scrambling, people were making decisions. Um, duct tape and bubble gum um, was often the, the common solution. You know, people were MacGyvering stuff just to, to get there, right? I mean, I, I heard a story of a company actually doing literal ringbacks. And for those people from the industry, a ringback is basically where the telephony system, um, you know, calls a phone number. And then the person on the other end picks up that phone and it stays connected as a leg, you know, in the conversation. Yep, to nail up the audio. Mm -hmm. Yep. So to nail up the audio, they called agents cell phones yep. to get them up and running, um, you know, which added a third leg and additional cost. Um, you know, a, a couple of fail points, you know, yeah. just, I mean, uh, let's, let's be honest. I, I sit in, in my place and my cell signal is iffy. Um, if it wasn't for Wi-Fi calling, uh, you know, I mean, there might be some times where I'd miss some phone calls. Um, yeah. So you can imagine, you know, the, the impact of, of making decisions like this, but they, we all had to. So um, I'd say towards the end of last year, I mean, it pretty much the, the whole year until the fourth quarter, um, really, that was the behaviors, right? We went through the cycle of first, let's get up the agents up and running. Okay, you know, let's take a deep breath. And now let's talk about, you know, how do we actually, um, you know, next in my mind, most of my client conversations, it was about security and compliance, um, you know, and, and not all of them actually implemented anything. Um, so. Yeah. We can go back and talk about that in a little bit. Um, and then, you know, operational efficiencies, right? Uh, and and now, now that we know at a minimum, you know, I'm hearing companies saying 60-40 and split from at home to going back into the office, depending on industry, right? Some some heavy HIPAA centers are already back Security in. Security and requirements, yeah. If they can't meet on, then they have to go back into some form of office environment. 
Yeah, they have to. Because at home, you can't control the physical desk, not the desktop, the actual physical desk. And clean desk policies um, are a part of the physical center that, you know, we're all used to, right? The lockers, as you walk in, you check in your cell phone, um, you know, you go to your desk, there's no pen and paper, yada, yada. Um, when not only go- that, but you, you could have other people in the room. You don't even know if the person walking in is your employee. Well, and there has been cases of that, right, where people went hired, went through training, got certified, um, you know, got on the program and then had their kids take phone calls or answer emails or answer chats or their uh, significant other. And they went off and they got another job. And, um, you know, people were doing. Yeah, I mean, there was all these these nuances we had never um, thought about trying to solve because we never had to. But it's definitely created now a new layer on top of the industry of how do you successfully onboard, train? How do you get people to be compliant? How do you get them to still be successful? And what's interesting is some businesses have said hybrid's the way to go. Yeah, The, the cost for a physical location, uh, access pool of people that we didn't have before, people that are just really good in this space. Uh, and then there's the others that, hey, they need the water cooler talk. They need to be able to be in an office in a building. They need to be in a place where it's compliant and they can keep all the things secure. Um, so with that said, um, where do you see it going, though, going forward? Do you see it still being that 60-40 split? Do you see the industry just very vertical specific? Or do you think now is the new world? And there's companies that are saying, forget the office. We're just going to be totally uh, remote. So... I mean, there'll be some that fall in all of those categories, but as a whole, I think the hybrid model is where we're going to see it. Um, and the reason why I say that is, you know, fundamentally, you no matter what you do, you cannot generate real culture through Zoom meetings and through, I mean, you just, you can't. Um, where trust is built is not within the meeting. It's when you're walking to the meeting, when you're taking lunch, when you're doing those things. Um, you know, and, and we're already seeing this, uh, and I don't know if this is a trend that's going to continue, but attrition rates in domestically in the U S are, are going up. Um, and if you think about it, fundamentally the agent, um, their, their persona, who they are, um, you know, the, the, all the dynamics with the $15 an hour, you know, wage increases coming, um, you know, uh, the, the, I mean, there's so many dynamics going on right now that if you're going to engage, get real agent engagement over the long-term, and you're gonna get long-term employees, which every contact center should be striving for, um, because attrition is the quickest thing to appeal your performance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if you're gonna do those kind of things, we have to figure out a way to create an environment where the one thing that agents have always done is built their pods in their in the center. And when I ran them, I could always tell because at break times, they'd always be sitting together. You know, they'd be talking. They'd go out after after work. They do their things together. We have to figure out how to get some of that back into the, um, you know, back into the, the model. And we also need to get significantly better at coaching, you know, enabling, um, you know, our, our leaders. And uh, people need to be trained in our industry. I, I've been harping on training since I came into this industry. Um, and it frustrates me because we don't we don't train our agents 
But even worse, we don't train our supervisors, our leaders, um, you know, the mid-level management. Yeah, every time I did a, a, a reset or a um, recovery on a, a failing contact center, you know, I'd, I'd bring in new supervisors because, quite frankly, um, you know, the, they're the people on the floor, the people that interact with the agents have the greatest impact of performance, period. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you figure out how to get them to coach, mentor, motivate, um, you know, work with the, the agents really well, you'll have a great performance center, as I said earlier. Um, so, you know, I think we're just going to have to get better all the way around. The good news is, is we will reduce some costs on physical premise, right? As soon as our leases are up, we'll start, you know, getting that money back. Um, but, you know, every bit of that money is going to have to be spent on technology uh, because there is no way you can run a true at-home model, um, you know, or even a hybrid model uh, without some forms of technology to engage the agent, to do ongoing training, um, you know, to, to uh, you know, provide them the solutions they need on their desktop and to create the customer experience that you're expecting. So, pretty fascinating. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a journey and, and it's going to be an exciting ride for you. So just now that we're at the end of our slot, I want to make sure we just get in something personal. OK, so um, when it comes to working at home and everything like that, what is one thing you do to disconnect from work to not be always in work? And I know you're always like, but I always read, I always do stuff. And then separately, if you're not traveling yet and if you are traveling, is there anything that when travel becomes a norm or becomes something where you're ready for have you thought about where you want to go well uh, we're all planning towards the end of the year the events are coming back up all that stuff but i've got a a a nice trip planned um you know in the summertime to to go up to glacier national and you know last year i did the same thing we went to a national couple national parks and did some hiking and stuff like that um so you know i've got no major international plans um no real quote unquote travel that I, I, you know, I'd love to go somewhere on a sandy beach, um, but nothing planned. Um, The, you know, the end of the year travel for all the shows, if we have them, um, you know, on site and which we're planning on having them, um, you know, then I'll be doing a lot of domestic travel around to the events. Um, Personally, what I've done, so the first two months of lockdown, um, you know, it was, it was awful. Um, You know, I, I, you know, I've got, I'm lucky, I'm blessed. I've got a separate office, you know, I, I'm separated. My kids are adults, so I don't have a lot of the dynamics that a lot of people had. Um, but nonetheless, I couldn't go to the gym, um, you know, and that's that's my my escape. Um, you know, six days a week, five to six days a week, I go to the gym, um, you know, and I do it always at the same time or roundabouts. And I treat it as a scheduled event um, to me. It is as important as a meeting with a client or, you know, a meeting with internal teams uh, to, to get out and, and do a workout because it's the one time I can, you know, put my my headphones in. I, I listen to audio books, so I'm still, you know, doing some work, but yeah. you know, I'm still I'm disconnecting. Right. Um, uh, and that's what I do. Uh, you know, to me, that's the one escape that really helps me balance the challenge of, um, you know, the, the speed and life we have in our, yeah. So yeah, that's what well, I do. That's awesome. The discipline of, like you said, it's as important as your meetings, right? You schedule it, you make it a ritual and it becomes part of taking care of yourself so that you can help take care of others. That's awesome. So Fred, I mean, we're thrilled to have you today been awesome yeah. uh, obviously we want people to find you if they want to get a hold of you so how do they do that 
Yeah, I mean, you know, first thing, LinkedIn. Um, I am always on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, find me uh, on LinkedIn, Fred Stacy. Um, you know, you'll be able to see my. It's S T A C E Y. Um, you'll you'll find me. Um, if you can't find me there, uh, you can find me at cloudcallcentersearch.com, um, which is a mouthful. Uh, you can also find me at outsource-consultants.com. Um, you know, but like I said, I, the easiest way is is LinkedIn. And quite frankly, um, I, I spend most of my day on LinkedIn or I'm always, I've got the, you know, the app up on my phone. So understood. I feel you on that one. So if you like what you heard and you want to know more, please go, please follow, connect with Fred. Uh, thanks to all of our audience for listening and joining today. And we're looking forward to having you back next episode. Thanks, Christian. If you like what you're hearing, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Check out our YouTube channel for exclusive clips. Like us, rate us, review us. If you want to hear more on our take on coronavirus, remote work, and contact centers, go to NobelBiz.com and click on webinars to see our recorded on-demand webinars. Thanks for listening to First Contact Stories of the Call Center. My name is Christian Montez, and we'll be back soon with our next episode. This podcast has been hosted by me, Christian Montez, produced, written, and edited by Bogdan Minutes, with co-executive producers Steve Biederman, Christian Montez, and Bogdan Minutes.